Oh, I welcome everybody this afternoon. And this is an opportunity to contemplate life, reflect on it. It's your life. So what I talk about, what I, what I reflect on is, is the way things are. This is the best definition of the Pali word dhamma, reality or the truth of the way it is which is to be reflected upon, to be observed, rather than defined by somebody else. So this afternoon, it <clears throat> see that this is an encouragement to, to observe, to be the observer, the knower, awakened, aware of feeling, of heat and cold, pleasure, pain, of pressure, physical pressure, emotional, uh, experiences, pleasurable, painful, exciting, uh, boring, whatever. And this sense of knowing, of being aware, uh, the awakened consciousness, consciousness w with awakened attention in the here and now. So it's very simple. It, in fact, it's ultimate simplicity, but we're not very simple. And we, we're very complicated creatures. At least I am. <laughs> <laughs> now just point, the, the, the uh, subject, uh, appearance and reality, this is an interesting one because, uh, you know, we, the word reality or, or the real is we think we know what the real world is. Uh, we assume, you know, we have this assumption that it is, uh, you know, what everybody agrees is the world and, and what we are conditioned to experience in it. You know, how we perceive it through our cultural uh, conditioning, through our own attitudes and tendencies. <clears throat> but the, uh, and then how things appear, and what is the difference between how things appear and the, and the reality. Uh, this is uh, for reflection, to contemplate this. Because, you know, these are just words, but they're pointing at a way of observing, maybe of looking at yourself or life around you in a, in a different way than just the habitual tendencies that we tend to conceive ourselves or experience life through our habits and our emotions and our prejudices, fears, and, and uh, attitudes, opinions. So I think many of us were attracted to Buddhism because it, it's this kind of invitation to investigate life, to, to come to terms with it, look at it, not just, not just be a kind of caught in the in the conditioning that we've experienced, or just feeling, you know, getting negative or disillusioned or depressed by the experiences we have as we grow up and grow old. And this we see in a country like this, which is, uh, you know, an affluent country. Uh, we've had, you know, compared to so much of the world's population, very privileged lives in terms of, of government security and uh, material benefits, comforts, opportunities that, uh, of course, you know, when you hear about other places on this planet, other countries, what people have to put up with is pretty uh, difficult, you know, with poverty, with, with wars, with all kinds of difficulties. So here in, in Britain, we've, you know, we've had, uh, the, during this time, say, my lifetime, uh, you know, I can't complain about the externals. Right? I can complain if, if I want to. <laughs> but in terms of, you know, life as, a, as I've experienced it, the external part, the material part, the, the, uh, the family, the society, the opportunities, and that for, for doing what I want, for education, for 
uh, travel, for, you know, having luxuries and wealth and things like this have been, uh, you know, fairly open and obvious. But the, the complicated part of our humanity is our personality. And it's this sense of ourself that becomes very apparent if you're not just living on a level of survival. You know, if your basic needs in life are not being met, you need food, shelter, clothes, and something to wear, medicine for your ailments, then our life has much more immediate it's a necessity to just survive, get some food, get something, a shelter for the night. That. But in our life, in an affluent society, we have a lot of time. <clears throat> we can take a lot for granted. And uh, we aren't just living on the edge of survival. Most of us uh, have, uh, with the, you know, the national health system and the dole and the other things, <laughs> opportunities for for uh, being taken care of when we are, when we lose our jobs or our health. <clears throat> but so many people at this very time, you know, don't have such opportunities. And say sometimes they're even sometimes more alert and aware than, than we tend to be because they're actually living on the edge of survival. If you're living, you know, in the edge of survival, you have to, it's the survival mechanisms that are operating, then you, you learn how to, to survive. But in affluent societies, such as here or in uh, Europe or America, uh, we, we can take a lot for granted and we can become very complicated neurotic people. And we can make endless problems about our lives about each other, about the world we live in. Uh, and because we are conditioned to see the world from uh, a distorted perceptions. Now this is uh, uh, just to get to the basic roots of it all. Now, say at this very moment when we're sitting here in this sala, <coughs> you know, we're all experiencing consciousness. You know, consciousness is the common factor that we all share at this very moment. Each one of us is a, is a conscious being. And consciousness is, is natural, it's not culturally conditioned, it's not personal, it's not my consciousness and yours, or, you know, if I start claiming it, it's my consciousness is different from yours. What I really mean is my personality or my feelings or my views or opinions are, are different from yours. But actually just pointing to, to this, uh, what we're experiencing beyond the conditioning process that is natural. When, when we're born, isn't when a baby's born, it has a human body and it's conscious. These are what we call natural conditions. They aren't created out of ignorance or out of uh, you know, out of cultural prejudices or biases or anything. They're just natural conditions to this realm. Planet Earth and the solar system we live in. So putting this in a context of, of non-self, it's not, we, we acquire this sense of our separateness and our personality and our identities after we're born. We're not born with an ego or a perception of being English or French, Thai or anything like that, that is inculcated in us after we're born. So we're, we, are, we have a sense of ourself as a separate being, identified with our, uh, with our bodies, with the appearance of it, with the age of it, with the gender of it, uh, with the color of it, and on and on like that. And then we have different ethnic backgrounds, different classes, races, and so forth, that are conditioned after, after we're born. Now just pointing to the, the natural conditions <clears throat> that we don't create, that human, human beings don't create the, the body or the consciousness. It's like the trees or the, 
uh, you know, the mountains or the seas or the thing. These are just natural conditions. They're you know, just emphasizing this, but they are, we're experiencing consciousness which is from a particular form, the human form that we have, the body. So like I'm sitting here and uh, so I see you over there. It's like you're all separate. You know, I'm here, you're there. And, uh, and therefore we're separate persons, separate people. And uh, then we can project, I can project onto you, you know, all kinds of things of attraction, aversion, prejudice, cultural attitudes, fears and desires and whatnot that, that I can create. But getting to the basic reality of this moment is the consciousness is the same. So consciousness then is, is unitive. It's not a divisive. The body is, a, is divided, isn't it? My body's here, your body's there. So when we identify with the body as our world, as our reality, then we're always seeing the world from a very mortal condition, the human body we have, and we're always seeing it as separate. You know, you're somebody else. And... Uh, and so you, you come and go in my life, but I have to always live with myself. You know, so this is, you know, throughout my life till, I, till the body dies, I have to, you know, when I leave here, I have to go back to my kuti. And you, you go back to your homes, but I have to live with myself for the... which is sometimes rather difficult. <laughs> so, especially when the self is, it does get very complicated. <clears throat> now this, also, contemplate the realm, this, the, this realm that our bodies are experiencing. This is a sensitive realm. It's about feeling. You know, so we, you know, the human bodies, all, all conditioned phenomena is about feeling. Consciousness is, 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 is a, you know, it supports feeling through these, these various forms. So the forms, uh, you know, we can feel hot or cold, hungry, full. We can feel happy or sad, pleasure, pain, healthy or sickly indifferent, we can be high or low, or jealous or frightened or angry, greedy, whatever. And then the human bodies we have are total, you know, they're, 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 we're incarcerated in a lifetime within a sensitive form. So it's just the way it is. <laughs> I'm not complaining, just pointing to the fact <laughs> That this is the way life is. This is the reality of this situation. And if you, you know, then we tend to think life should be peaceful and healthy and happy and good. And, and that, but that's not the way this realm operates. Sometimes, you know, it goes from one extreme to the other. Much of our life is neither particularly happy or sad. It's just ordinary. So with, with the, when the Buddha was pointing to Dhamma, or reality itself, now I like, you know, as the years pass by, this word Dhamma is, uh, is a Pali word, and it's, uh, you know, it's a word that doesn't quite have the same, you know, you can't really find a really good English equivalent for Dhamma. So we, we take the word itself and use it in the English context. Or, you know, as I get more insight and understand more, then, then I begin to see Dhamma is reality itself. It's the real. Dhamma is reality here and now. And then, the, and then we awaken to reality. It's mindfulness. So this is what the whole emphasis of Buddhist meditation is on mindfulness awakening to reality, not to 
reality as it's defined by culture or personal uh, attitudes or by religion even. It's not, a Buddhist, Buddha never tried to define reality or tell you what you should believe is real. He's point, the, the whole aim of the Buddhist teaching is pointing to reality. So it's a, a kind of emphasis on wake up and see, kind of, you know, kind of uh, encouragement. Man, just wake up and look, observe the real. You don't have to, uh, you know, if I define it, then you'll probably look for something else. The Ajahn Sumedho told me reality is this, and I spent a lifetime looking for what he described. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> so that doesn't work. You know? <laughs> so this is uh, like, like the Buddha is, is you know, these, these words in this tradition. It's a very skillful tradition. This uh, Pali Theravada tradition, <clears throat> because it is, um, it it it's it is an expedient means. It's taking language. The, the ability to think, taking words, uh, and, and using them for pointing, for giving us a perspective on something, for not just telling us how, what we should be or how we should live or what we should do. But, uh, you know, it's the emphasis on awakened attention to life, here and now, the deathless reality, ultimate reality. We put it in in terms like ultimate reality or the deathless. Now that deathless reality is beyond thought, isn't it? You can have, a, you can have the words, but try to conceive, try to imagine deathless reality. <laughs> you know, I can't. Mine goes blank every time. <laughs> and then... And then we say, well, there's, then we maybe say, well, there's a deathless reality. It's maybe a kind of vibration, uh, energy. And then we want to, then we start wanting to think of it in terms of energy or vibration, or maybe it's a god or a deity, a creator force. When we get into complicating it all, you know. So then these, these are, ways that people try to, to contact it or awaken to it or recognize it. And religions give various ways of doing that. But this, is, uh, this, this, this style is definitely the Theravada Pali tradition, <laughs> which, isn't, which, kind of, which refrains, restrains itself from trying to tell you anything, but it's an encouragement to wake up and look. Because you know the this is this is your opportunity as a human individual to understand, to con to recognize re the re ultimate reality here and now. Now the condition that we're experiencing, everything that we experience through the senses is called conditioned phenomena. It's phenomena. You know, so it's, we, you know, through seeing or hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, emotions, uh, everything that we, we experience in consciousness is phenomena or conditions. And, and these conditions are, you know, some are beautiful, ugly, good, bad, right, wrong. They have all different kind of qualities, uh, Different aspects, complicated, simple, good, bad, heaven and hell. And this realm is about that. We're experiencing, you know, pleasure and pain, heaven and hell, uh, success and failure, praise and blame. And, and to the average person, the average individual, time is our reality. Time is reality. But the Buddha pointed to the timeless, timeless reality. So this is another thing that rather is, is worthy, uh, worth investigating in yourself. You know, like your body's a time-bound condition. 
you know, so you, you know, you get born, you grow up, you get old and die. That's what the body is supposed to do. Because it's, it's, it's a phenomenon. And it, because it was born, then it will die. And so this, this is the pattern of conditioned phenomena. Then taking the word phenomena and, and then taking it to the noumena. The noumena is, is where phenomena arises and ceases, begins and ends. Now these are words, I think they're probably Greek, of Greek origin, noumena, phenomena. But they're interesting to use because they're, they're ordinary enough in the English language. But noumena then isn't, isn't personal. It's not about my noumena and your noumena. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can misuse language like that if we want, but it, it's uh, it's not understanding, you know, what these words actually mean. So the word phenomena or conditions, conditions, phenomena, um, the born, the created, the formed, all that begins and ends arises and sees. This is about time. So, so the, the world that we live in believes in time. Now this is the first day of August. I had to change my calendars. I've got, people give me the most beautiful calendars every new year. And they're so beautiful, I have a hard time giving them away or getting rid of them. Because they don't make just ordinary, sloppy, boring old calendars these days. People go out there. <laughs> We make kind of work of works of art. So every beginning of the month, I have to go through my kuti, changing the calendars <laughs> around July to August. So that's what I was doing this morning. <laughs> Busy life. I <laughs> and then we also have British summertime. You know, another complicated thing. And then, you know, then we have, we're living in, you know, way far north, uh, northern hemisphere, where the days are getting shorter and nights are longer. This is about time. This is a kalik, this is kalika dhamma. This is the way things are. This is about phenomena, birth and death arising and ceasing. And this whole realm that we're experiencing through the body is about birth and death and feeling and change. So contemplate that. This is just the way it is. It's nothing, it's not saying it's, it's we're not making any criticism or judgment, it's just noticing. Now if you really pay attention, you, you can really begin to see it, you know, that there's nothing that you can, you know, that you can't, you experience through your senses, through your body, through the mind, that it has any permanency whatsoever. And, and then we, we live in, in this realm where we have little, very little control over it. How we, you know, how much happiness and health and fairness and justice and rights and all this we have. Because, uh, you know, the, the conditions are dependent on other conditions. You know, the alignment of the planets in the sky, the sun and the moon. Who knows what's out there in that vast universe that's affecting us at this moment. Uh, all kinds of possibilities in the infinite uh, planetary system, stars and maybe beings, energies, forces. Then just on the planetary level, the changing of the seasons, the day and night, and then the aging of the body. <clears throat> and so we have to deal with, I just had my 76th birthday. So, you know, that's, have to look at this body now as 76-year-old body. And that's time, isn't it? The body's about time. And, uh, and then we, we believe, if I believe I'm uh, the body, then I'm a 76-year-old man. Fair enough, that's the way the conventional world thinks and believes. I'm not criticizing, but just pointing out. Is that what we really are? An aging physical body? Or, 
that which is aware of age, of you know, of, of the thinking, I'm 76, or I'm this body. You know, so this is where we, the emphasis of the Buddha on mindfulness. Now this is you, you really unique to Buddhism. You know, this, uh, this, is, this is what uh, is unique to this particular uh, religion, is the Buddha's emphasis on mindfulness. Because it's now, you know, it's such an alien word in our society, you know, to to be mindful usually means to be mindful of something, like be mindful when you get off this stand, or be mindful when you cross the street, or things like this. So we we recognize it as kind of being mindful of something, of danger, or you know, of some some condition around. But when the Buddha is using the word mindfulness, uh, or sati sampajanya, the Pali word for it, it's 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 not just being aware of something, an object, but is open state of attention. Mindfulness then allows us to recognize reality, to realize, to to be the noumena itself. You know, rather than this person, this this uh, this physical body, these emotions, these thoughts, opinions, fears, habits uh, that we tend to see, always define ourselves, judge ourselves according to to the conditions we're experiencing. Now, when you think of yourself as a person, well, it's usually through identity with your physical body, isn't it? And then you and then you identify with your feelings and your memories. And then, and as you define yourself through through uh, my memories, my life, my body, my thoughts, no, they're all different than somebody else's. <laughs> you know, with all the people in this room, you know, we're we're all conscious, but each one has their own particular perception at this moment. You know what you you're thinking or feeling at this moment isn't going to be exactly what I'm thinking or feeling at this moment. So when we are habituated, identified with changing conditions, then we always feel some some dis-ease or uh, something's missing in our lives. Something there's a lack of something. Uh, and so we we think if we just had more money or the met the right person or uh, you know could get rid of the illness and or not grow old or live in a perfect society where everything is is perfect but uh, you know then we think that that we that we have to find something or get something we don't have rather than awaken so the simple act of of mindfulness, it's an imminent kind of attentiveness in the present that includes everything at this moment. You know, whatever it is, you know, physical, emotional, uh, thoughts, memories, pleasant, painful, whatever. It's not mindfulness and wisdom, they combine. Mindfulness with wisdom means then we when we're mindful, we begin to recognize the value of mindfulness and cultivate it, then our discerning abilities improve. Wisdom is being able to discern the real from the unreal. Discernment isn't, it's not saying the real's better than the unreal. <laughs> it's just able to see this, this is, the reality is this, this is the appearance. And so, you know, practicing like this uh, for many years now, I've had, you know, i put it to the test. You know, this is over 40 years as a Buddhist monk. So, uh, you know, how I practice then is discerning the real, knowing the real is the real and the unreal, not to, you know, unreal 
isn't a, you know a denying of anything, but it's it's a, a way of looking at the body, at the emotions or the feelings or the thoughts or the memories or the sense of myself as a separate personality, uh, my own conditioning, you know, from my own cultural background, perceptions of of what's right and wrong, good and bad, and the and you know the kind of package that I got from my parents and the place I was born and grew up is like this. So this is like this mindfulness then brings us to, is the gate to this numenon, this pure awareness, deathless, conscious point here and now. And it's beyond thought, if you're trying to figure it out. <laughs> And so, <laughs> thinking is, is a time-bound condition. You, see, you can't trust thinking, really. It, it can maybe, if you use it rightly, thinking can be a, a, a tool to use. But as an end in itself, you'll, you'll get yourself in a, your brain in a twist if you try to figure Buddhism out. <laughs> Like Ajahn Chah, when somebody asked me about a nut, he says, if you think about it, you, you'll go crazy. <laughs> now this is, uh, you know, when, now say the ego, the sense of myself as a person, as a physical being, as this monk, uh, and and then uh, then that is what we call conventional reality. Like Ajahn Chah would always use these words: conventional reality and ultimate reality. So like samut satcha in Thai, samut. Well, it's Pali words, but they use them in Thai. Samut means conventional reality. It's okay, you know. We can think tomorrow and. And then day after tomorrow and yesterday and I've got to meet this person or go to the doctor and things like this. It's conventional reality. It's not, it doesn't mean that we give up. We just become a kind of zombie living in a state of ultimate reality where we, <laughs> we don't feel or notice anything. But our relationship to conventional reality is has changed from grasping it and identifying with it, being caught and, and victimized by the habits and conditioning that we've had, to understanding it, seeing it for what it is, discerning it. It's like this. So discernment is, is the knowing, is a direct conscious knowing of reality and the phenomena that arises and ceases. And of course, the, the physical body has its lifespan to live, but throughout the day and night, we have to deal with emotional experiences, uh, thinking and memories, pleasure and pain. We, we hear, we, this is the information age, so we're always aware, so much aware of of all the things that are going wrong in the world. You know, it's, 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 people talk about s their stressful lives. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, you listen to the news or read the newspapers or what very much, and you're going to feel stressed. <laughs> because they don't, they don't uh, they, you know, there's nothing about ultimate reality in it. Yeah. Or <laughs> even... <laughs> Even the good side, you know, it's about of, of conventional. It's about the war, David Cameron screwed up in Pakistan, and <laughs> and I'm like this, and then the terrible uh, floods and and that that they're having in China or. You know, you hear, one time, you know, a hundred years ago, China was having floods and nobody would know about it, but the Chinese living there 
But um, now we know what goes on in uh, Kyrgyzstan. <laughs> and Darfur. Who ever heard of Darfur? <laughs> Places like this. Because now, you know, the, the media present us with all the, the, the catastrophes, the, the corruption, the scandals, the problems, the wars. Of, uh, that are existing at this time on planet Earth. And so we, and then the, we hear all the news from, gossip from the neighbors and, and on and on like that. We have our own personal problems in life, our relationships to family and workplace and so forth. So this is, this is the realm of conditioned phenomena. It's like this. It's a complicated, ongoing irritation uh, that we have to bear with. <laughs> and and it, it's just the way it is. And we would, you know, so it's, it's this awakened awareness of it that changes our relationship to the this realm, the sense realm, the feeling realm. It's not a denial or a rejection, but changing from being blindly grasping, helplessly caught into these changing conditions, not knowing what's happening or what to do about it, just a, a kind of helpless victim of circumstances, to being aware of change as we have to experience individually through our human forms. Now I find, you know, I can bear that, you know, the whatever I have to bear with uh, in my life, if I under, if I have a, if I see it in a personal way, then I think I can't stand it. My early years of training as a monk in Thailand, you know, it was, uh, the mind would you know, you're trying to uh, adapt to a, to tropical weather and different lifestyle and everything. So you you feel, you think sometimes your mind says, I can't stand it. I can't stand it. It's too much. And then, uh, so my, my emotions would start believing. I can't stand it. But then I'd start noticing that I actually can stand it. <laughs> and I'm standing it. <laughs> At the very moment, my mind says, I can't stand it. And that was quite an insight. <laughs> so <laughs> so this, is, uh, this, this is how you, you begin to observe yourself. Notice this is not critical. I'm not criticizing, like saying, I should be able to stand it, but I can't. Then, that, then the ego forms around. I've, I should be better than what I am right now. But it's not about trying to make yourself better as a person, but seeing the nature of phenomena. And that which is aware of phenomena is the noumena. It's not, it's, it's not, um, you know, it's, it, it has, a, once you begin to recognize it or discern, then you find your refuge in this awareness. It's a stable, it's a still point. It's the, what they call a gupa, unshakable still point that we begin to recognize with, while these changing conditions operate according to the way they are. Now this is quite wonderful, isn't it? And to me, I'm, you know, when I started out with Buddha's teaching, it was all up in the head at first, and so I doubted it and wasn't quite sure about it and <clears throat> that. But it did, and something in me did relate to it as something worthy, at least to try to understand. And so, you know, over the years, having opportunities to practice, uh, you know, this has been opportunity to really break through a lot of the 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 fears and the uh, habit habit patterns that that I accumulate, 
and to see, to discern, to have a confidence in discerning reality. You know, uh, uh, it's a, it's a, it's not based on supposition or on the ego. If it's the ego thinking about, do I really understand reality? Then, then I go into immediate doubt. The ego is is based on thinking. You know, when you contemplate yourself as a separate person, it's always through your thinking. I'm this person here, you're that person there. I'm a man, you're a woman. I'm this and you're that. And, and uh, it goes on into the thinking that thinking is, is divisive. It, thinking is a useful condition, but it's very limited because it is a critical function of the mind. You know, we think this is bigger and this is smaller, this is better and that's worse. This is heaven, this is hell, this is right and this is wrong. <clears throat> so the thinking process, we're all educated to think. You know, modern education is about thinking, about reason, being reasonable, logical, analytical, scientific, sensible. <clears throat> But also to put thinking in its proper place, it is, it's for criticizing, for comparing one thing with another. And of course, conditions are different, so some are going to be bigger than others, smaller <laughs> and better or worse or right and wrong, good or bad. Fair enough, we're not trying to say all conditions are exactly the same, you know, they're, they're they're all, because that's the lie, they're not the same. Conditions are all that is different. Condition phenomena is about difference, about change. And then that which is aware, so this is the, this word aware or mindful, satisampatanya. This is the, this is the, occasion that we have to abide in a natural non-state. Now that doesn't make much sense in the logical <laughs> Natural non-state. Think about that. <laughs> but but the natural non-state, then I put that as the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, the deathless, the noumena. And it's through consciousness that we recognize, that we discern. It's because of consciousness that, we, that discernment is possible. And, and, and the human condition itself. Now the human species is one that, that can reflect in this way. And this is, this is what the Buddha did, was he reflected on the way things are. Now the animal kingdom, say the, just the mammalian kingdom that we live with, the dogs and cats that we love or hate, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the rats and the birds and whatnot. The and the birds aren't mammals though. <laughs> I do have some scientific knowledge. <laughs> but, but they're all conscious. The same consciousness is the same. Whether it's a bird or a rat or your pet cat or whatever. It's the consciousness. Now this is I'm not telling you, this is for reflection. Consciousness, we're all experiencing the same consciousness, but the forms are different, like the species are different. Why do, why do cats always look like cats? You know, why do dogs, and why do, you know, and birds, you have woodpeckers and have, have uh, robins and swallows. Why can't they just be all, why can't they change forms? A swallow become an eagle? <laughs> And in fantasy and fairy tales, they can, but in, in, in terms of the reality of, 
that we're observing, things, uh, there's so many different phenomenal forms or species. Now what is special about the human one then? Because we aren't that much different, are we, from chimpanzees or gorillas, monkeys. I mean, we're, you know, we have, I mean, some people would find this very offensive, but, <laughs> but actually, you know, we, with the mammalian kingdom, you know, dogs and cats. Why, why do the English love dogs so much? What is it that, that they, they love their dogs? Because dogs have similar emotions to humans, <laughs> don't they? Uh, they, you know, they can be very affectionate or very angry and you can hurt their feelings. If you talk bad to them, they, they, they look hurt. You know, I ex experimented, I had a dog once where I, I'd say the most awful things in a sweet, melodic voice. <laughs> and, and the dog... <laughs> dog picked up on the melodic voice, not on the words. <laughs> That's sensitivity, isn't it? Then they they're happy when they, you know, and and so and they they eat, you know, and sleep, procreate the species. Similar, it's not that much different from us. But a dog, at least the dogs I've known, they don't they aren't very self-reflective, <laughs> and so <laughs> now humans. Sometimes, not hum all humans don't seem to lack. Sometimes aren't very self-reflective either. But, but this is this is the point of the Buddha's teaching: is to awaken, to be able to use this gift that we have as a human in this human form. And so it, you know, it's a it's a it's a gift. Or in Thailand, for example, here always telling me what a precious thing it is to be born as a human being. And I was much more cynical in those days when I first went to live in Thailand. I think, I don't see, you know, I think, I think it's a curse <laughs> being human. You know, you have this memory, you have so sensitive and your feelings, because people just look at you cross-eyed and you feel something. You know, you, you look at a dog cross-eyed, it doesn't feel anything. It doesn't seem to. So, but then, you know, in, in the Buddhist world, uh, it, it, they're pointing to this, this is what Buddha really means, this word, meaning it's a, it can be a human individual awakened to reality. It's not a, a kind of God living out in space or anything like that. So you can have Buddha images, you can make Buddha rupas, you know, look kind of in their iconic forms, human style. <clears throat> because this is this is what all, we're all capable of. Not to become a Buddha, you know, and some kind of personal wish to become a Buddha, but to be this awareness, awakened in the present moment to Dhamma. Buddha is what is aware of Dhamma, knows reality. So in the in this tradition, when we we have this um, tradition of taking the three refuges in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, so this you say Bhutang Sarnangachami, Dhammang Sarnangachami, Sankang Sarnangachami. This is what it's all about. It's taking refuge in awareness, in reality, in in virtue. In, you know, so that our lives as human beings, we're, we're taking responsibility for living in a virtuous way, for doing, you know, our actions. As human individuals, we can use our bodies uh, to harm or divide or kill others, or we can use our physical forms uh, the remainder of our lives for um, goodness, for compassion, uh, caring, helping, supporting, doing good in the world, practicing. 
supatipano, they say, one who practices the Dhamma, who lives by the Dhamma. So these refuges then contemplate this, these refuges are, a refuge is a safe place. It's, you seek a refuge for safety, isn't it? Because there's danger. And we all want a refuge to get, away, get out of the danger. So then this to me over the years, just this simple chant that we do, so ordinary part of, like those of you who come from Buddhist backgrounds, uh, from Thailand, Sri Lanka, Cambodia, whatever, this is part of your culture. <laughs> it can be just Bhutan Zernangachami, just without really knowing the profundity of that. <clears throat> but a meditator, when you start practicing, and, and getting, investigating Dhamma, then you see that Bhutang Sarnangachami is, is just like a beautiful thing to think, to remind yourself to be mindful, because we forget. The world impinges on us, our karma ripens, uh, things happen, and then we, we react. We get carried away maybe with, with anger or jealousy or fear, desires. But then, uh, you know, then this Bhutang Ternangachami is a reminder. Uh, you know, starting right here and now to remind here and now the timeless reality, the perfect noumena, consciousness. And this is, uh, this is what we call bhavana or cultivating this way. Now this is like in vipassana meditation. There's a lot of interest in, uh, you know, now in in this word vipassana, which is an uh, which is a Pali word, which means insight into dhamma. You know, so it's it's looking having insight knowledge of having direct knowledge of reality, and then cultivating that because. Uh, we live in a in a society that is deluded, so it's and and then you know the so we we operate we have to live within the conditions of this society we're in, and and of course it triggers off our various tendencies, our fears and desires and and uh, jealousies and emotion, anger and resentment and so forth. It's just the way things are. But our relationship now has changed from, uh, you know, from trying to stop or change or, or uh, control toward trusting in Bhutang Sarnangachami, in awareness here and now. So you, you, you know, your real trust then is that you find this refuge, you recognize it, and then you then you cultivate it. So say like in, in monastic forms like this, it's about cultivating this kind of awareness. This is what the whole purpose of, of monasticism is uh, is to you know to use this the this kind of traditional form for awareness for cultivating the path. <clears throat> so. It has its, uh, you know, it is a it is a form that that uh, has its boundaries. We have discipline. We have, it's it's not about, you know, each one of us uh, kind of picking and choosing. We just we we learn. It's a tradition, so we learn to just live within the structures that that of this particular form, and then we have the point is to observe how we react to it. And, and so that because we, you know, any kind of restraint, you, uh, you know, can't do what you want or go where you want to go or say what you want to say or, you know, and then you're a celibate and you're, uh, and you're in some kind of traditional form that is very different from your own cultural uh, expectations of life and, and it brings up all kinds of frustrations and criticisms and we get attached, we get repelled. We get critical, but all this is is grist for the mill. It's part we observe. Our refuge is is in this knowing. It's like this. 
So then it's cultivating the path. <clears throat> At first you have to know the path to cultivate it. <laughs> It's not, it's not an airy-fairy path. It's not like some kind of abstract thing uh, that dependent on conditions, on any other condition. It's just a matter of recognizing it. This is the path. This is the real. The appearance is like this. You know, the appearance of this moment is like this. You know, so it includes everything. It's not, I'm not saying that, you know, whether it's right or wrong, good or bad, but it's like this. The appearance, the feeling is like this. The phenomenon is this. As one is directly experiencing through your, uh, in, through the sensitivity of your form, and, and, and through, but you're seeing it from consciousness, undistorted consciousness, rather than experiencing life, interpreting your life always from the distortions of conditioned phenomena. So like the suffering that, that people talk about, that is the first noble truth the Buddha pointed to, is the suffering we create through our unawakened uh, habituation to and, and grasping of conditions, of phenomena. You know, so we, we interpret experience always through a distortion of something. Like the ego, the sense of me, Ajahn Sumedho, and as my, my uh, the, the, the sense of myself as a separate person. If I interpret life always from this perception, it's a dis I'm distorting reality. I experience always, I, I feel like this, and I want this, and I don't like that, and... And the ego has its own, you know, its own complicated neurotic scenarios to present. But the the awareness is the awareness of the ego. So the ego then is 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 recognized. It's not rejected or criticized. Seen. So you know, I found in my own practice over these years the ego will go on to I can't stand this. But I know what that is. That thing in me that says, I've had enough, I can't stand it. I know that. There's a knowing. <laughs> and, uh, you, know, it, it, you know, you have different, at my age, you know, you, you don't have the um, uh, energy, the resilience. You know, so, like I went, when I went to uh, North America, Last May, I left, you know, and for uh, Canada and the United States, two months. And before that, I was in Portugal for two weeks, climbing up old castle walls, ramparts, going here and there. Then and I came right back here and gave a 10-day retreat here at Amarvati. And one day off, and then, we, then I flew off to North America. I was exhausted. <laughs> Because <laughs> you know, I I could I used to be able to do things like that when I was younger, but but uh, you know, but fatigue, physical fatigue, and so forth. This is just the way the body is. This is part of age. Now, seeing it in terms of the ego, or from discerning it, is different, isn't it? From the ego, then it's oh, so tired, exhausted, uh, or. It's like this. You know, so you're certainly aware of feelings of being tired, exhausted, but you're not, you're not lost in it. It's just the, at this time, the conditions, uh, having been through all these different things and then, you know, being so active, uh, then you, if body feels like this. Where if it is, oh, I feel like I'm so exhausted, you know, I can't do things like I used to. <clears throat> then I'm living in a community where everybody's considerably younger than I am. <laughs> so, they see me more like, you know, the, some of the monks treat me like I'm getting senile. 
I keep waiting for the signs. Like I, I'm more meticulous now than I ever was. You know, build something on my robe, and I hope nobody notices. <laughs> you think, oh, he's going gaga. <laughs> and then you have the memory's not quite so good, and then you think, oh, I've got Alzheimer's. <laughs> That's the ego, isn't it? The ego does that. Worrying about what people, well, they're all thinking I'm getting too old or I'm, I'm getting uh, dementia, senile senility. And of course, this is, you know, we create these words and identify with these concepts or fear them. <clears throat> but there's also, at the same time, a knowing of this. No longer giving it, uh, you know, the re putting, experiencing life through these perceptions. You know, if I, if I give them, if I cling to these perceptions, then, then I suffer from, from changing conditions, from aging, and, and worrying what other people think of me. But if I, <laughs> or what I think they think of me. And then if I see it in this way of discerning, there's no suffering in it. So anyway, this uh, the tea has arrived. Yomlada is forever, always trustworthy. She's been doing this for years. <laughs> I don't know. Have to, I never say you've got to do the tea. She naturally takes it on. So anyway, I want to invite you all for a cup of tea and then. Maybe 20 minutes if you're so inclined, uh, we could have discussion. <laughs>